Erev Tov, good evening. We are up to the Navi, Nachum. Like many of the other Navi'im in this section of the Tanakh, we're lacking a lot of biographical information about him. In fact, information in general, if I recall correctly. The book of Nahum has 147 pesukim in it. It seems like the Jewish split up of the Nevi'im is into four parts, whereas the non-Jewish split up of the Navi Nahum is into three. So what we call simanim in the Jewish Tanakh is called chapters of Pakim in the Christian Tanakh, and that seems to be what we have in front of us right now. Nahum is the next in line after Yoel, and like I mentioned to you a few times already, the order of the Nevi'im in the book of the Navi is not in the same order necessarily chronologically, at least not in this part of the Nevi'im. And so the Rambam tells us on page Lamed Chet 38 of the introduction to the Mishnah Torah, The Nachum received his oral transmission from Yoel in his Bet Adin. I told you yesterday the name Yoel only appears in the Nevi'im or in the whole Tanakh by the Navi Yoel. In the Talmud, the name Yoel shows up only in context of when we quote the Prophet Yoel. But we don't seem to find any Tanaim or Amoraim that have the name Yoel. It's amazing that today that name is so common in the Jewish community, whereas in the days of old, clearly it was not. The name Nahum is very similar. The name Nahum shows up in the entire Tanakh only here in the book of Nahum. There is one more person with a name similar to that, and those are the Jews that come with Ezra out of exile. That person's name is Nechum with a Shiva in the Nun. Not a Na, but a Ne, Nechum. He's mentioned that way, though the root of Nahum is what? What does Nahum mean? What is the root of Nahum? Nahum, what is the root of the word Nahum? The root. Nun Khedmem. Nachem. Nicham. Nacham. The root is comfort. So you find Nechemiah, you find in the Talmud Nachman, you find other names that have to do with Nun Khedmem, but only Nahum is referred to as Nahum explicitly in this way. If you have a Tanakh in front of you, uh, if you're in your art scroll Tanakh, you're going to be on page 1386. 1386. Masa if you open up the Navi, so you want to go to Safaria, click on Tanakh, click on Navi, and find the book of Nahum. Masa Sefer Chazon, Nachum Ha'el Koshi. Masa is an interesting word for a prophecy, but let's translate it. Prophecy regarding Ninveh. 
This is the book of the vision of Nahum, Ha'el Koshi. Seemingly, this means where he comes from, El Kosh. I mentioned to you last night and perhaps earlier that it seems that whenever there's no place explicitly mentioned after the Navi, that means that he comes from Yerushalayim. There are those who tell us that El Kosh is a place somewhere in Yehuda and Shavon, Judea and Samaria. But we don't know, at least not today, not yet, of any geographical location in Yehuda and Shamon that is known as El Kosh. There is one place that is known as El Kosh. It's actually called until today Al Kosh. A L Q O S H. Al Kosh. This is found in Iraqi Kurdistan. So, if you're familiar, it's a little way out of Israel. But over there, you have not just the name Al Kosh, but there's a tradition, both by Jews, by Muslims, by Christians that there is a tomb, a grave, a kever, of the Navi Nahum over there. I sent in an article, which I'll discuss in just a moment, regarding some modern history. What I mean modern? Modern as in it happened now in August. Like now, 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 not, nothing old. What's going on with the grave of Nahum, the Prophet Nahum in Al-Kosh? No. Now I sent that in a Google Classroom, an article in Hebrew and in English, thanks to Jack uh, Foreman who found the English article. I was trying to figure out how it translated, Google Translate, and then Jack sent a text message with uh, the English version of this article. So Chazak to him. I posted both of them in the Google Classroom. And it seems that the Navi, Nahum, according to this account, comes from that region of Iraqi Kurdistan. The book of Nahum, we don't know much about in terms of who he was. Chachamim that I looked up, tried to, I tried to see where did he live, in which time period did he live, who did he live with. The closest we got is the book Seda Olam. Seda Olam mentions like Yoel, like Nahum, like Chavakuk, that they all prophesied, like I mentioned to you yesterday, in the time of the king Menashe. But because Menashe was evil, his name is skipped in the Tanakh. We don't mention that this is the Navi Nahum who was in the time of Menashe. Menashe does not deserve an honorable mention and because of that we don't mention him at all. Aside from that, we don't know much about Nahum where he lived in the context of the Tanakh. But some of his Nivu'ah is very sharp, very powerful. The Navi Nahum has a very flowery Hebrew, so it's, it's actually researched often. Uh, the type of language that he uses is full of life. It's a very, very poetic. But as the beginning sentence of Nahum tells us, the Nahum is coming mostly to prophecy about Ninveh, not about Am Yisrael. Most of this book has very little to do with the Jewish people directly. Everything indirectly, but directly to Am Yisrael, very little. He talks about some terrible things that are going to happen to Ninveh. Terrible? Terrible. I have no other word for that. Terrible. But he does have a pasuk here about Am Yisrael. If you look in the end of the first chapter, so chapter 1, pasuk Yud Gimel, 
ואתה אשבור מותהו מעלייך, ומוסרותייך אנתק. And now I will break his yoke from upon you, Yisrael, and I will snap your bonds, meaning I will free you. The Navi Nachum does have pesukim of comfort to Am Yisrael while he's discussing the destruction that will happen to Nachum. Al-Kosh. Al-Kosh does not seem to be a big place in Kurdistan, but it's a famous place, both for Jews, for Muslims, and for Christians. Most recently it was famous because it's 50 kilometers north of a place called Mosul. I don't actually know how to pronounce it properly in Arabic. Mosul. What's over there? What happened over there recently in our history? It's Very good. ISIS took it over. Daesh took it over. And this meant that the grave of the Prophet Nahum was in direct path of destruction. I don't know if you've seen the things that have happened to the other tombs of the Navi, like Navi Cheskel, what ISIS did to that tomb. And by this, Mamash, by a miracle, this tomb was spared by ISIS and is currently being renovated. Uh, if it wasn't for COVID, from what I read, if it wasn't for COVID, we would actually have had a dedication ceremony there already. But this last year, Hanukkah, was the first time that Jewish people lit a Hanukkiah at the tomb of Nachum Hanavi for many, 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 many years. The Jews of Kurdistan recall that the grave of the Prophet Nachum was a common place of pilgrimage for all faiths, by the way. We find all kinds of artifacts that are there from all different religions that came there. The Jews who used to go pray there remember that the Assyrians would also come and pray there with them. They remember that. The Muslims would come and pray there also. Really anyone who believes in the Torah, the Nevi'im and the Kitubim, believe that place to be a holy place. There's a bit of Knesset that's attached to the tomb of Nahum Hanavin from the walls that didn't fall in in the last few years of deterioration there due to lack of upkeep, proper maintenance and upkeep. We find clear Hebrew inscriptions. If you open up that article, I actually kept some of these pictures. If you open up that article, there's a man, uh, Maurice Baron. He's the one who's involved over there. His family was named Barzani. Now, Barzani happens to be a very famous Kurdish last name. There was a famous rabbi who was a rabbi Barzani, was the chief rabbi of Kurdistan. His son-in-law took over for him when he passed away. Talking about somewhere in the 16th century, if I'm not mistaken. And then, after the son-in-law passed away, the son-in-law's wife, which is the first rabbi's daughter, the first chief rabbi's daughter, she became the chief rabbi of Kurdistan. You heard what I told you? Rabbi Osnat Barazani became the chief rabbi, more correctly, the Rosh Yeshiva of Kurdistan. A position which she held until the day she died. There's a classic example of uh, a female Torah scholarship in the Middle East that modern historians don't discuss much at all. In fact, for modern historians, Judaism is entirely Eurocentric. What happens in the Middle East is highly irrelevant to anybody who studies Judaism. I have a friend who's going for his doctorate in one of the famous Jewish universities that I cannot mention, but there are not so many of them. And he's getting a PhD in Jewish studies. And he spends his whole life, Chamanesan, studying about the Wissenschaft movement, you know, the Wissenschaft. 
and I asked them how much they study about Sephardic rabbinics, Sephardic history, Sephardic anything, in order to get their PhD in Jewish studies. He said they had one course in one semester in his first year. Zil. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's not ignorance because they don't know, it's ignorance because they don't want to know. If academics and Ashkenazi Chachamim would have to begin uncovering the Torah, the teachings, the philosophy, the lifestyle of Chachmei Svarad, they would be put out of business. All of the wonderful innovations they believe they brought to the table, do they think that they invented? It's not true. This happened many years before. There were functional Jewish communities, unlike the dysfunctional Jewish communities of Eastern Europe, and then therefore translated to the United States and Israel. Therefore they can't study it. They're anusim. Therefore they have no choice. If they were to study it, then they would fall apart. So if we're saying that Nahum Hanavi lived 2,600 years ago, more or less, then it's 2,600 years later that ISIS breaks into this region of Iraq. And if you look with me in Perik Bet, chapter 2 of the Navi Nahum, in verse 10, Yud, Look what the Navi says. He seems to be prophesying what's going to happen where he lives. Bozu chesev, bozu zahav, plunder silver, plunder gold. Ve'en ketzel kavod mikol The mount is limitless to sweep it clean of every precious vessel. Bukam vukam um vulaka velev names ufik birkaim vechalchala bechol motnaim ufnei chulam kibtsu parur. She's emptied, emptied and breached with a melted heart, buckled knees, pain on all the loins, and faces there, and all their faces have gathered blackness. This place is being taken over. That's exactly what happened. And it was only Mamash, by way of miracle, that Daesh didn't get their hands on the grave of Nahum. And that leads into an entire restoration operation that happened. If you look here, if I could show you the before and after pictures, I'm not sure how great they will come out for the camera. But if you look in the article that I attached, you'll see it yourself. This is the kever of Yonada Navi in Iraq. So before ISIS and after ISIS. You could see that. Before and after. The grave of Yonada Prophet. Destroyed. Destroyed. They're all worried about how, what we're going to do to the Temple Mount, which is ours. They're worried what we're going to do to it. Look what they do to the world. Let's see some more pictures. I'll show you. This is the Berakneset of the grave, near the grave of the Prophet Nahum. It's called the Al-Koshi Synagogue. There's a website, a Mesopotamia Heritage Site, which has all these pictures. You're welcome to go check it out yourself. But this is the Berakneset before. And this is after not Daesh, but just simply being unrepaired and unmaintained, the building fell apart, and that's what prompted the efforts to come along and fix. I'm just going to bring it close to the camera so they could see it. This is the reimagined tomb that they're working on right now. And like I told you, if it wasn't for COVID, uh, they would almost be done with this already now. There's a Dr. Moti Zaken who has been assigned to oversee this entire project. Here is an archaeologist who's uncovering the walls that didn't fall down in the Bet Knesset. And you find that all the walls are inscribed with Hebrew, Hebrew letters. 
which is not a surprise to us, but should show people just how far back Jewish people belong to this region. We are part of this region. We didn't appear here recently. This is a place where we have culture, we have history, we have roots. Here's a beautiful picture taken in 1940, or somewhere in the 40s, of the Jewish pilgrimage, the greatest Jewish pilgrimage to the grave of Nahum. Jews from Iran, Jews from Iraq, Jews from around, some even from Turkey, would come and travel to the grave of the Prophet Nahum for the holiday of Shavuot. Here you see a celebration of the holiday of Shavuot. See men and women and children. The man that I mentioned to you earlier, these were his parents. So this is what Kurdish Jews look like. In classic Kurdish Jewish wear. I think the Kurds and the Jews have two things. They, were, they did get along very well for the time that we were there. And a little bit of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. There's that element that goes there as well. Uh, there's a big uh, famous monastery that's not far away from the grave of Nahum. And that leads to some current politics. If you go check out the website of the Al-Koshi Synagogue, here, this is the church in Al-Kosh. There's a church in Al-Kosh, and this is important. Just a moment, I'll tell you. In the 1800s, if you want to understand the number they have here, in 1985, there were two and a half million Christians in Iraq. Today, they don't even pass the number 500,000. Like the Jews, they fled for their life. And so there are some Christian sites there. But in terms of the population, like Jewish people's population, almost decimated, almost disappeared. What's important about the church is the following. There was a French, if I'm not mistaken, a French traveler, a French uh, somebody who came through there. And he claimed, I believe it was in the 1800s. Jack, did you see that part of the article? Do you remember what year that was? 1853, 18 something, 1800s somewhere. He made waves. He claimed that in the middle of the night, the Christians had robbed the grave of Nahum and taken the bones in a jar to the monastery and hidden in the wall of the monastery. And there are some eyewitnesses aside from him that claim to have seen a similar thing. The Jews, from what I understand, completely denounce this to be true. They, there's no way they would have been praying there if there was no grave over there. But this is something that is, now they're trying to say, can you bring us proof? We want to go to the church. We want to check it out. We want to look in the walls. And nobody is willing to do that. So there's a current political debate right now happening there, over there uh, with the Christian community, the local Christian community. Nonetheless, when a joint effort between the United States government and the Kurdish government, as well as some other private organizations, and this tomb is being entirely renovated. Now, I don't know if it helps Am Yisrael, the tomb is being renovated, but the reasons they gave for renovating it were fascinating. Aside from maintaining a cultural heritage site, they say the people of Al-Kosh, their dignity was this tomb of Nahum that everyone would come visit. And since it fell into disrepair, people aren't coming, people aren't visiting, their morale has fallen. And in order to restore their morale, uh, this is one of the reasons that they're investing. What's the interest of the American government in investing in the grave of uh, Nahum? Why do they care? Why do they care about projects in Kurdistan? It seems that the United States government allocated funds to help repair things that ISIS destroyed. And so when they applied for the grant, they fell into the criteria of the grant. And 
they were given a significant sum of money to be able to repair the site. And like I said, when COVID is over, whenever, if ever that will be, and this is one of those things that they are looking forward to announcing to the whole world. So it's uh, Jews, Christians, Muslims, Kurds, Americans, Israeli scientists. I believe there were some uh, um, uh, Czechoslovakian or something like a Czech, uh, maybe some Ukrainians also, some different organizations that came in to dig and to help and to build. It's a worldwide effort to repair the grave of Nahum. Who knows, who knows if Nahum even had this in mind that somehow many, many thousands of years after he died, he would be uniting so many people around one common goal. I think if there's anything that we can learn from the story is that the Navi Nahum, regardless of whether or not he prophesied for Am Yisrael, the relevance of his words and the relevance of his personality is not something we have to believe in, it's just something we have to open up the news and look at and see how many people are invested in the Prophet Nahum and to realize that for us, the reason we're invested in him is not because of a grave, but it's because of the living tradition that he passed on to us, which is Torah Moshe Rabbeinu from Ha'azilai. And God willing, we'll continue with the next Navi and the next Shiur of the Rambam.